the words, I, I show that because it's Mother's Day and because it's funny, uh, but also because it is around words. And I want to talk to you this morning about words. Oftentimes, our words are influenced by the people that we around or the role that we have or a status we have in life. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. Before we do, let's read our passage and uh, get into that. We're in Colossians chapter 3. If you're new with us, the book of Colossians. Uh, you can uh, look it up in your Bible. If you don't have one, there's one in a chair rack that's nearby in front of you or behind you. The book of Colossians is towards the back. Take a look at the table of contents there where you get. It's probably around page 980, that area there. Um, but Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read the entire passage that we are studying for these six weeks. These six weeks, we're kind of taking a deep dive into just one little section of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And I'm going to, last week I read it for you. There's different versions of the Bible, translations of the Bible. Some of you know this. Um, let me just take a second. I'm going to read it in a different translation this morning. And uh, some of you might say, why are there different translations of the Bible? I get that question sometimes. Uh, let me give you the short answer of that. How many of you speak more than one language? Put your hand way up there. We have a lot in this church, right? Speak more than one language, right? Okay, I can't put my hand up there. I barely speak English, but I try. And you guys are generous and kind to me, but I try. Um, but here's, here's the deal. If you speak more than one language, here's what you know. That when you take something from maybe your native tongue and you bring it into English, you have to make a decision about that word, right? Sometimes you might think there's a one-to-one -one correlation, but a lot of times there isn't. A lot of times you might have to use several words to communicate what one word in your language is, or, or in other times there's just not an exact word. Uh, when we look at our Bibles written in English... They weren't originally written in English. The original manuscripts, Old Testament, mostly in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek in the time, ages of their time. And so when they're translated into another language, English for our purposes, every translator is making a decision on every word. Is there a one-to-one -one correlation? Is there not? Is there one that says it well? Does it have to be said with multiple words? And so you have some different translations that one of the reasons the wording's a little different is because they're making uh, decisions on how to best try and communicate what that word means. And so last week I read our passage in the ESV, which is the English Standard Version, which we use most of the time on Sunday mornings here. It's the one that's in your chair racks. I like it. I think it's a good, strong translation. It's, it's um, pretty literal, one-to-one, -one, but also pretty readable. And those are, those are two things I look for. This morning I'm going to read... Uh, out of the New Living Translation. So just a different translation. Uh, a good tip for Bible study, if you're looking at a passage of the Bible because of this nature of translation, I try and read a passage in multiple translations. Um, and you can do that on the computer pretty easily. You can go to different programs and click on three or four different translations. And when you do that, you might notice a word that is translated differently in one than another, and it might tell you there may be a little bit more to that word um, than we often get in our English translation. We're going to come across a word like that in our passage today, and I'll point it out when we get there. Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. <clears throat> so after having you turn to it and everything, this isn't the translation you have in front of you if you're looking at your Bible in your chairs this morning. But here's what it says. <clears throat> Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven 
where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, Clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen. The word of God. This passage that we're looking at, I want to talk about this topic, this idea that our words and what our words say about us, uh, it's one of the subjects that is addressed in this passage. You may have heard it. And here's the reality. Your words are affected by your status in life. Your words sometimes change when your status in life changes. For instance, if you maybe have started when you started dating someone, You may have started using words that maybe you didn't use before with other people in your life. I know maybe some of you would say some words to someone you are courting or dating that you would never use with your friends. 
And if some of your friends got a hold of the text messages you are sending to the person you are trying to woo, you might be a little embarrassed. There are emojis you never used before. You saw them on the keyboard and you're like, I'm never using that one. There's bitmojis you thought you'd never send to anyone. You start to talk differently when you're trying to uh, woo that person to you. When you become a parent, I, 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 there's one, I've said this before, I don't know of any single thing that changes your priorities and perspective more than the moment uh, you become a parent. Uh, immediately, that baby is born, and suddenly your priorities and your perspective have changed. The things that used to be important aren't that important anymore. Things you thought you could not live without in life. Suddenly you haven't done them for months and you don't even notice it. And your words change. You start to say things you never thought you'd say. Things like, why would you put that up your nose? Why would you put anything up your nose? Why, why did you hit her? Why did you hit him? Why did you pick that up off the floor and eat it? Why did you give that to me off the floor and tell me to eat it? All kinds of things. It's only poop. All kinds of things. You never thought you'd say. And they are coming out of your mouth. We talk differently in our different status in life. It's true. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. Here's what he's saying. If you're a Christian... If you follow Jesus, then your status in life has changed. This is what we talked about the first week in the first part of the passage. If you are a Christian, then you have gone from being dead in your transgressions and sins to alive with Christ. You have gone from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God through Jesus Christ. You have gone from having to bear the penalty of your sins and wrongdoings to someone who's been forgiven and graced and shown mercy and in Paul's words is raised with Christ. Not only that, he says your life is now hidden with Christ. In other words, you are protected no matter what comes at you in this world. Ultimately, you are hidden in Christ always. And thirdly, he says... That one day Christ will appear. The scroll on this part of time is going to be rolled up. The end is going to be written on the end of the script. And Christ will appear in glory. And if you are with Christ, you appear with him. And he says, so this is your new status. This is who you are. And what Paul's saying is, if this is who you are, then how you act and how you live, and specifically this morning, how you talk should be affected by it, should be changed by it. The way that you and I talk as followers of Christ ought to be different than the way we talked before we knew Jesus. You know, the way you talk often indicates who you're with. I I remember, I never thought I had an accent growing up. I don't think I have as much of one now. I've worked hard not to have one, but I did have one when I graduated high school and went to college. And I went to college out in Missouri. And if you've never been to Missouri, just know they have a different accent. They don't think they have one either. None of us do. But I went down there and all of a sudden my, you know, guys at college, roommates saying, oh, listen to this, he's from Boston, say car, say, say park, listen. (laughs) 
And I'm like, I did not know what they were talking about. I realized I had a problem. I, this is a side note, but this is, right, I'm throwing this in for free. I realized I had a problem one night when I was actually working at my college job. And I, had, uh, I was managing a pizza place. And so I had to do the books at the end of the night. And I put the books and I put them away. And I wrote a note to the guy that's coming in the next morning. And I said, you know, the books are in the drawer. Only I didn't say the books are in the drawer because that's not how I talked. When I grew up, it was a draw. So I said, the books are in the draw. He called me up the next day and said, what on earth are you talking about? He said, the books are in the draw? I'm like, yes, the books are in the draw. What is the problem? And we went back and forth, and I told him exactly where it was, and he said, oh, the drawer. And I'm like, yeah, it's the, yeah, that's what I said, the draw. So I realized at that moment, maybe I did have a little bit of a problem. But anyways, end parentheses, that had nothing to do with the message. But the point is, our words indicate who we're with. Our words indicate who we're with. And so uh, Paul says, look, if you're with Jesus, then your words need to change. Then the way you talk needs to change. The way we talk needs to change. We can't talk the way we used to talk. And so he says specifically three things in, these, in this passage. He says, slander and obscene talk and lying need to stop. He said, those things are incompatible with the life of a Christian. He said, if you're a Christian, then slander, obscene talk, filthy language, and lying ought not be a part of your life. And now we, in 21st century United States sitting here, maybe you hear those three things. And you say, yeah, of course. I mean, any... Any well-cultured person who's, you know, a decent person wouldn't want those things maybe as a part of their life. Well, first of all, I'd push back on that and say at times, even in places that might feel that way, lying seems to be something that often happens and is celebrated and even utilized as a tool. But I would say this also, there's cultures and times where that's not the case. And it may be that our culture one day goes that, that, that road again, where slander is just something that's not outlawed or illegal, or, or it's just accepted. It's a way of life. It's the way business gets done. Uh, talking uh, abusively or obscenely may not be harmful. It may just be the way business gets done. But Paul's saying, look, even though that's what's going on around you, it should not be present in your life. And here's why. If you think about it, what's slander? Well, slander is me using my words to kind of spread some negative things, whether they're true or not about someone, but to cut them down in order to make myself feel and look a little better. Now, I may try and do it in a way that doesn't make me look bad. I drop hints around the office you know, say, you know, I hear someone talking about it and I just feed into it a little bit. But slander is me using my words to cut someone else down so that I can feel better or look better myself. And, you, and where Paul's saying, look, if you are hidden in Christ and your value comes from God and you will one day appear with Christ, then you don't need to do that. 
then you, you get your value from God. You don't need to cut someone else down to give you value, to know how important you are, to know how loved you are. You don't need to cut someone else down for you to get ahead. So slander has no part. It's inconsistent with God and following God. Same thing with this word for uh, obscene talk is how it's translated in the English Standard Version. But here's that word I was telling you has, is hard to get one word to translate it into English. In some translations, it's obscene talk. In other translations, it's filthy language. And in other translations, it's abusive speech. And the one Greek word actually encompasses all three of those things. It's this, it's this idea of your words being obscene and filthy and abusive. And Paul's saying that has no place in the life of a follower of Christ. The obscene and filthy language and abusive talk. Abusive talk is me using my words to control another person. To exert power and control over them. We might call it today verbal abuse. Paul says that's, you got to put those things away. Because if you are a follower of the one who said, I came to serve and not to be served, then my words don't need to be used to control you and exert power over you and abuse you. Also, those words ought not be present. Obscene talk, filthy talk. No, not, not in the life of a Christian because you serve a God who is pure and holy and good and beautiful. And so your words should reflect that. Then he says, do not lie. And that's a simple one because Jesus, one of the names he gives himself is he says, I am the truth. And if you are following the God who is the truth, then lying has no place in our life and on our lips. And so Paul says, look, because of your new status, then your language should change. And, but here's the hard part. Once we hear that, and I say that, you may be thinking, okay, I need to change the way I talk. I need to change some things the way, the way I talk. But let's, let's Hold off there for a second because I think that could be an easy thing. Sometimes we say, okay, something is wrong with me externally, so I need to change external things about me. That something is wrong with me externally, and so I need to change something on the outside. But Paul, I think, is careful to say it goes deeper than that. When we use angry and harsh words, we usually think, a uh, couple things. One, we think it's an external problem. It's just my words, if we think it's a problem at all. Or we think the other person is the problem. You know, whoever I'm using my words on, it's them that's the problem. The reason I beeped my horn and used those words and got so angry and slammed my brakes on is because they cut me off and they were driving erratically and they don't know what they're, they didn't use their blinker and they, didn't, they just, they deserved it. What I don't say is the reason I got so mad in traffic is because I have an anger problem. The reason I get so mad at you as my spouse is because you always act this way or you never do this and you just, it's, it's just always going to happen and it's your fault. It's not my fault. 
The reason I always can't, you know, you kids always hear me yelling is because it's you guys just won't behave. You just won't act right. It's always outside of myself. It's always someone else's fault. It's always them and not me. But the reality is, the, pro- the truth is that the problem is our hearts. And here's how we know that. Because in this passage, before these uh, slander um, and uh, obscene talk and lying, Paul gives three other words that need to be gone from our life. And there is a progression from the internal to the external. In verse 8, Paul says, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And what he's saying is this. Look, the slander, the obscene talk, and the lying, all that is is the external manifestation of what's going on inside of you. You've got an anger, a wrath, and a malice problem. You've got something going on inside of you that is coming out as, I need to cut this person down. I need to lie to get ahead. I need to control you and abuse you with the way I talk. I need to treat other people uh, in the way I talk in in a way that's not according to God's plan because I have anger, wrath, and malice in my heart. There's an internal problem that we would be mistaken if we look for simply an external solution which is often what we do. We try and control it. We say, oh, you got a problem with swearing, so you put the swear jar on your counter. And every time you swear, you put a five in it or a 10 or whatever it is is going to make you stop it. And we try and do an external solution to this external problem, but the problem is really that our heart is really the issue. That we have an internal problem that needs to be fixed. We need to put that away first. All it is is manifesting what's really inside of us. We have something going on inside of us that's coming out of us that needs to be dealt with. And you can't deal with it. Oftentimes this world that we live in will tell you, here's how you deal with it. You know what? Your problem isn't really obscene talk or slander or lying. Know what your real problem is? Your real problem is just you feel guilty about it. We really just got to work to get rid of the guilt. So if you would stop feeling guilty about it, that's really the problem. The problem isn't that you're doing these things that you need to get rid of. The problem is you feel guilty about it. So let's just work to get rid of the guilt. It's like the story I heard, I read this week of the guy who sat down at a restaurant to, to eat and the waiter brought him a drink and he, took, he brought him a Coke and he picked the Coke up and he threw it right in the waiter's face. And we said, what did you, you do that for? He said, well, I'm sorry, I have a compulsion. I have this thing, I can't stop it. I get a drink put in front of me and I throw it right at the person. I'm, I'm trying to stop it, but I'll tell you what, I'm working real hard, I'm not gonna do it, I know it's a problem. Could you bring me another Coke? And the guy said, why, I'm not gonna bring another Coke? He said, look, I, I'm not gonna do that, I'm, I'm working hard, I'm trying. And so he brings him another Coke and he throws it right in the waiter's face. And he says, you said you weren't gonna do that. He says, I know, I've got a problem, I've got a compulsion, I'm gonna get help. So he goes, he feels real bad, checks himself into an inpatient clinic and, and is there for a month and, and comes out, goes back to the same restaurant. The waiter recognizes him. He orders a Coke. The waiter said, oh no, 
Last time you were here, I had to change my shirt. No way. He says, no, no, no. I have been getting treatment for a month, and I am healed. I am fixed. You know, can you bring me a Coke? Waiter says, okay. He brings him a Coke, throws it right in the waiter's face. Waiter says, I thought you were, you know, healed. I thought this was, he says, I am. I still have the compulsion. I just don't feel guilty about it anymore. And as funny as that is, that's often the solution that's given to us these days. Don't worry about changing your behavior. You just need to get rid of the guilt. You just need to get rid of the shame. Just get rid of that and you'll be fine. And Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying, no, 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 no. If you are in Christ, get rid of this stuff. Put it away. Last week, we used the term mortify, kill, put it to death. It has no place with you. It has no place in your life. He says, put it away. This change of identity and, 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 and the way we live reminds me maybe of the picture I get in my mind is maybe when you were a kid and uh, you had someone kind of come over, someone's going to come over to your house, maybe a peer uh, or someone a little bit older than you and you never have had, you know, kids come over before. And, you know, your mom says, oh, this family's coming over, and they have kids, and you know, oh, they're a little bit older than you, and they're coming over, and you start looking around your room, and you're like, oh, man, mom, we got to get rid of the Care Bear quilt, we got to get rid of the Spider-Man pajamas that are on the floor, we got, I got to get rid of some pictures on the wall, the teddy bears, the stuffed animals got to go, the dolls got to go. You know, you think, ah, these things were like little kid stuff, and this guy's coming over, and he's really cool, and he's not going to think I'm cool. And, and, I, and so you say, we got to put this stuff away. And I, that's kind of the picture I get in my head, but I think Paul's saying, you have, cha- you have grown up, you have matured, you are a different person. Put that stuff away. It's part of who you used to be. It's part of the life you used to live. It's not part of who you are. It's not part of who you are now. And so in order to do that, we need to change internally. Well, that's not easy, is it? Uh, But Paul says that in in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, says, uh, excuse me, verse 10, he says this. The end of verse 9 says, put off the old self with its practices. And verse 10 says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There's two words in that verse that I think are critical for us to understand. Being renewed. Being renewed. You are a project that God is working on. Philippians 1, chapter 6 says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Two things that verse tells me. One, you're not done. Two, it's God's work. And this verse reminds me of that too. You are being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are a work that God is working on. You are a work that God is still working. So you have things in your life. You say, I've got anger issues. Yep, well, you're being renewed. God is working that out of you. You've got these issues in your language. You're being renewed. Here's, Here's what Paul is saying is our responsibility. 
Here's what our response is. God's responsibility, our responsibility is, is pressing into God and, and, and being in his presence and asking God to remove this stuff. His responsibility, he's, he's working in our life. But here's, here's what our responsibility is. Not to tolerate these things that aren't supposed to be in our lives. You may have them manifest themselves at times. You're in traffic and boom. You didn't want it. You didn't expect it. You didn't plan it. But something came out. But here's the difference. We don't tolerate that. We don't celebrate that. That's a part of us that we say, God, you're still working on that. Forgive me. And Lord, would you continue to renew me in that place in my life? We don't tolerate it. See, I think what Paul is saying to these people is you live in a culture that tolerates these things. You live in a culture that may even celebrate these things. You can't do that. You can't tolerate these things in your life. Martin Luther put it this way, you, can keep a, you can't keep a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. And it's true. There's going to be times where something may come out of you in that moment that is not completely renewed yet, but you can keep it from building a nest in your hair. You can keep it from finding a place in your life where you tolerate it and you allow it and you accept it. What you need to recognize is, God, that's a part of my life that you do not want there and I do not want there. God, forgive me. And God, continue your work of renewing me and making me more like Christ. What Paul is saying is these things can't be allowed and tolerated and allowed to live in our lives. And that's your responsibility. Because there are, like I said, maybe, yeah, maybe it's easy to look at our culture and say, oh, slander is, I mean, we got laws against that. But how about obscene talk? Oh, maybe in certain places. Oh, we don't talk that way. But you know the places they do. You know the places in your life where it's celebrated. You know the places in your life where you can hear that joke or make that joke and no one's going to say anything about it. But Paul's saying just because the people around you celebrate that, you are not to have that in your life, talking that way. And it's not because you want to be seen as a well-cultured, well-mannered person and look good in the eyes of people around you. Nope. It's because you are hidden in Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You will one day appear with Christ. This is what your status is. And since this is who you are, then your life ought to be lived in a certain way with your words. But you can't do it all in your own power. You need God's spirit. And you need to ask forgiveness when we go off track and continue to ask God to renew us. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're kind of sitting here trying to check things out and you're not sure where you are with God and you're trying to decide, you know, maybe if, if you're going to follow Jesus or not, then I want to be careful with a passage like this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I am not here to help you manage your sin. I am not here to help you manage your sin so you, on the externally, look better and feel better. Because there's what happens when we do that. When we do that, we look, we can carry, we can get something on the outside that looks pretty good. We can get something on the outside that looks pretty good to people, but really our life is a sinkhole. 
And kind of like this, where on the outside and the top, everything looked fine, but then eventually things were eroding underneath and there was nothing to support it, and $5 million worth of Corvettes fall into a sinkhole, which is what happened in this picture. And our lives are like that sometimes. I'm not here to help you manage your sin because if you are not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, your biggest problem is not the way that you speak. The biggest issue that you have today is there's a God who loves you and died for you and longs to be in relationship with you and you need to know him. And you need to come to the place where you understand and you're in relationship with him. My biggest responsibility is not to help you manage your sin, but to help you fall in love with Jesus who gave his life for you. And then he in his power and in his strength will deal with those sins in your life and those things in your life that he says, all right, your status has changed. Now this has got to go because that's how you used to live. What you need is, the, you can't do it in your own strength. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll ask our music ministry to return as I close with this final story with you. It's kind of like this. In 1871, the great Chicago fire destroyed much of the bustling city of Chicago. But surprisingly, the flames actually started on the other side of the river from the city of Chicago. The river jumping fire is partially explained by the high winds that spread the fire to wooden ships moored in the river, but there was also another more important reason that happened, and that is the shallow, sluggish river was a sewer for the entire city. The Union stockyards in Chicago dumped all their animal waste into the river. People called it the Stinking River or Bubbly Creek. It was so bad that the waste was actually combustible. All of this putrefaction flowed into Lake Michigan where there were drinking water intakes for the city. In the 1890s, 10,000 people died of cholera and typhoid. In 1885, uh, 100,000 people died from illness carried by the river's putrid waters. Finally, city engineers took action Here's what they did. First, they started digging 28 miles of canal. They moved more earth and rocks than were moved building the Panama Canal. They set in locks and gates. And then on January 2nd, 1900, a worker opened a sluice gate at Lake Michigan. And when he did, the entire Great Lakes flowed into the Chicago River pushing it in a direction it had never flowed. They reversed the flow of the Chicago River. It now flowed the opposite way into the canal, into the Des Plaines River, into the Illinois River, and into the Mississippi. This brought a huge flow of fresh water. Instead of shallow, sluggish, diseased water making the community sick, the river now brought the city life. Some writers argue that Chicago would not even be around today had the flow of the river not been reversed. The American Society of Civil Engineers named it one of the engineering projects of the millennium. As interesting as that is, here's why I tell it this morning. Because that's the kind of work that happens in your life when you come to God 
and his Holy Spirit comes to live within you, it is the power to reverse your life in a direction that it never flowed in before. It has the power to change everything from a place of death to a place of life. It has the power of taking something that was brought disease and sickness to others to now something that brings life to others. This is what God wants to do in your life. This is what God wants to do through. This is why I say you cannot do it in your own strength. You can go and try and shovel junk out of the river and do a little bit, but you're not going to change that river. You're not going to change your life, your legacy, your family history and heritage. You're not going to change it in your own strength. But that legacy can change through Christ. When God comes into your life and he changes it and takes you from light to dark, from death to life, and it's like the Chicago River changing directions completely, like all that water of the Great Lakes suddenly rushing into your life and cleansing and bringing life. See, the word says that you are to be renewed into the image of your creator. That brings me right back to Genesis 1. And what happened in Genesis 1? God spoke and it was good. Genesis 1, what happens? God spoke. The image of the creator that you are created in. God spoke. Heaven and earth came into existence and it was good. Everything that God spoke in Genesis 1 is good. So you serve a God that speaks good. I know that's not good grammar. But God speaks good. And you are to speak good as well. You are to be a follower of him that speaks good into the people around you. So when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to that family gathering later today, when you're in your own house, when you're in your kitchen with your spouse or your bedroom or your kid's bedroom, is there abusive talk? They're lying, slandering in those places because you need to put those things away because you are called to speak good because you serve a God who you are created in his image who speaks good. And so people ought to come out of your presence and they ought to have had a conversation. I don't know what it is about that person, but every time I come out of their presence, I feel good. Every time I come out of their presence, I feel like there's someone who loves me. Every time I come out of their presence, there's something about them. They don't talk like the other people talk. They don't, I'm not worried about trusting them with my reputation because I don't think they're going to go and slander me. I don't think they're going to go and use these words against me. There's something about them that allows me to trust myself with them because they speak good. I don't care what the society or the culture around us does. Paul says, put those things away because since you have been raised and hidden and will appear with Christ, this is how you ought to live. Let's pray. As we respond to God's word today, if you're a Christian here today and there are places in your life where you have words that have not been in line with who you are in Christ, then today, Put those things away. First, ask God for forgiveness. God, forgive me.
for those places in my life. God, forgive me for those words I spoke this week. God, forgive me for those words I spoke this morning. God, forgive me for those words I used. God, forgive me. God, forgive me and change me. And Lord, continue to renew that process in my life. If you are not a Christian, if you have not come to Christ, then let today be the day that you open that gate to God's power in your life. Stop trying to shovel the river clean yourself and allow God to come in and flood your life with his power. If that's where you are, there's a prayer on the back of that connect card that you can pray that I'll just read for you this morning. It says, thank you, God, for loving me and for sending your son to die for my sins. I repent of my sins and receive Christ as my savior. And now as your child, I surrender my life to you. And when you pray that prayer, it's not magical words. It's just words of a heart committed to God. And when you do, the Bible says God's living presence comes in to dwell in you. That the living God of heaven and earth takes up residence in you. That his Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And he will do the hard work of changing your life. Father, I pray that you would guide and lead every one of us. And for those this morning who are here, and that is the cry of their heart, that they are opening their life to you, that they are saying, God, come into my life, forgive me, and be the Lord of my life. I pray that this morning you would, Lord, lead them, guide them, do what you said you would do, and come in and invade their life, draw close to them, Lord, and lead them, lead each and every one of us to be more the people you've called us to be, Lord. God, we need you. Make us into the people who speak and live in ways that honor you and is in line with who you are. Change us, Lord, from the inside out, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.